It is great to see you all on this first Sunday of 2015, and uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, before I bring the message this morning, I have a couple of things I want to do. The first thing is I want to make an announcement. I'm going to ask John Bastone, if you will, to, to join me here. Uh, several months ago, John came to me and shared that he and his family uh, wanted to create a short-term missions trip scholarship fund in memory of his wife, Jeannie. Jeannie was one of the first uh, members of this church, for that matter. But she was also uh, a team member on the very first mission trip that Christ Community ever took back in the year 2000 to Sepecho, Bolivia. Uh, Jeannie served after that in many capacities with the missions team and was always a champion of short-term missions. Um, John and his family felt led to provide an initial gift to establish his fund. Uh, It will grow and it will be maintained by the gifts of people like yourself who may share that passion for short-term missions. Maybe uh, you've been and you would like to help others go, or maybe you can't go and you want to help others go. But uh, Christ Community will also supplement this fund regularly from our kingdom funds. Uh, And the purpose of it is to help us achieve a goal that we've always had at Christ Community. And that is that ultimately that every member of this church would go on at least one mission trip. We believe so deeply in the power of what God does when we get away from our comfort zone and get into his world uh, and let our eyes be open to all the things that God can do. That It's always been one of our desires that anybody who's a part of this church, everybody who's a part of this church, would eventually go on at least one short-term mission. But for many people, money is an issue. And so we have this scholarship fund. It provides partial scholarships to anybody that's going on their first mission trip with Christ's community. So this morning, I am officially announcing the creation of the Jeannie Bastone Memorial Short-Term Mission Trip Scholarship Fund. And John, I just want to say thank you to you, to your family. We love you guys. And are so grateful uh, that you're continuing uh, to spread her legacy for short-term missions. I uh, wanted to give you just a chance uh, to say a word if you'd like. Sure. Well, there's a, an interesting little backstory to this that I shared with Keith this morning. Uh, when AJ called me, and um, he started ranger school today, by the way. Appropriate day with yeah. the rain for him to start <laughs> ranger right. school. But uh, when he called me with this idea, I, I thought it was great, and I was trying to figure out well, what's, what's the right amount to give and, and, and how do we start it? Because, you know, we wanted to provide a little bit of a substantial gift. <clears throat> well, it just, it, it happened that uh, the, the way God speaks to you, um, after I finished settling Jeannie's estate, um, I found out I wasn't liable for any property tax this year in Muskogee County. And uh, so it was a no-brainer for me. The Spirit was clearly telling, leading me that that amount, whatever that amount in property tax was, was wasn't really... The, the county's money or my money, it was God's money, and it was a perfect amount to start this. And uh, I just thank Keith and and all of you for this opportunity to continue to serve and to uh, to God be the glory. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. And, uh, you know, I'd love to just, while you're here, let's just pray and uh, ask God to bless this whole gift and this whole uh, scholarship fund. Lord, uh, we are very grateful today for the memory of Jeannie Bastone. Father, she was one of your special ones. It was so full of joy, so full of of compassion. 
and had a heart that was as big as the world. And um, Lord, we're inspired by her to continue to spread that legacy. And Lord, I thank you for the gift that has established this fund for other gifts that will maintain it. And Father, I thank you for all of the lives who will be changed and for all of the, uh, the worldviews that will be expanded because of this gift. And uh, Lord, we dedicate it to you today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, brother. And then secondly, I want to introduce you to a, a new family. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, Jessica Taylor uh, is here. Uh, they're coming on out. They've been at Christ Community for several months, but they have uh, just in the last couple of weeks come on to our team as interns. Um, this is an internship that's very similar to the Triers, uh, the one the Triers did a, a couple of years ago. It's a, a full-time internship um, and I just wanted you to meet the Taylors. Some of you already know them, but for those of you who don't, uh, give you a chance to, to meet the Taylors this morning. So, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about uh, you and your family. Good morning. <laughs> Glad you're awake. Uh, this, this morning is special for us because we get to meet you and you meet us for the very first time. And I want to say thank you for allowing us to be a part of this family. Uh, this family of faith and, and be able to come along serve and serve alongside of you in ministry and what God's doing. Um, as you see in the picture, me and Jessica and our two daughters, uh, one of them is in Kingdom Kids right now. So um, she's uh, enjoying herself and we brought the other one with us, Olivia, Kate. And uh, just a little bit about us. We just came back December 5th from China where Olivia is from. And our daughter, Grace, who is in my lap in the picture, she is from Russia. And we adopted her several years ago when she was, uh, I think we got 22 months, 22 months, 21 months. We got home with her. And uh, these two little girls are both in our forever family now. And myself and Jessica have been doing ministry since uh, 2003 together. We were married in 2003. We've been doing full-time ministry ever since then. In our last church, we had served as student pastors for eight and a half years. Uh, so ministry is not new to us, but we're excited about what God has in store for us here at Christ Community. My wife's heart and passion is missions, specifically in Rwanda. And my heart and my passion is just being involved in ministry and what God has in store and what God's doing in the moment. I think it's exciting to be in a place where uh, you feel a peace. Um, that's not a position or a job, uh, but to be in a place where you find freedom in ministry and love, uh, love to be a part of what God's doing. So thank you for the opportunity to serve uh, and to be here with you guys and opening your arms for us to be in your family. Jonathan, Jessica, Olivia, it is great to have you guys here as a part of this team. As you can tell, they're, they're not new to ministry. They, they're experienced in ministry. This is a, a higher level internship. Uh, Jonathan and Jessica just feel that God's leading them into a new phase of their ministry. And we really agree with that and believe that this year will, will serve them well in preparation for it. But I want to tell you, I think you can already see 
they're very definitely going to bless us greatly. I mean, what a rich, rich family. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being with us and, and uh, introducing yourself this morning. Take, some, take an opportunity. If you don't already know them, they're going to be outside after the service. Um, hopefully, you may have to run to kids, Kingdom Kids and get grace. But uh, just welcome them to Christ's community. Let them know that you're glad they're here. And uh, join me right now as we pray for them. Father, we thank you that uh, in your great wisdom, you have seen it fit to bring our paths together, the Christ community path and the path that the tailors have been on in ministry. And Lord, we thank you that they're here. We thank you for all of the ways that they will enrich our body. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you will continue to prepare them for your work. And uh, so Lord, today we just celebrate them. We celebrate your faithfulness and we look forward to seeing how you will work in them and through them to continue your purposes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Bless you guys. Well, my original plan this morning um, was to bring you what we kind of call the New Year vision message, uh, the, the vision for 2015. But due to a number of factors, we decided to put that off till next Sunday. Um, I can tell you, if you hadn't figured it out already, that the tagline is going to be, for such a time as now. And I'm really excited next Sunday to bring you kind of an overview of what we really believe God is doing and stirring this in our souls. I'm excited about the journey that I believe God is going to have us on this year. It's going to be a very, very significant one, and I'm looking forward to that next Sunday. But this morning, in honor of a brand new year, I'd like to bring a message that invites all of us to check our spiritual temperatures. Now, I know that there's some of you that are already sick to death of talk of New Year's resolutions. And trust me, there was a big part of me that did not want to go here this morning. It's almost become a little cliche or passe, hasn't it? I mean, you, you know, the, the New Year's resolution talk is this, uh, it's almost become a joke in some ways. But I want to just, I'd say this. There really is something about closing the book on one year and, and, and turning the page to a new one that provides the perfect opportunity for reflection and evaluation, uh, for refocusing and envisioning where God is leading us for the future. Uh, so, you know, I want to, I, would have, I just want to invite you not to miss the opportunity just because you don't want to get on the New Year's resolution bandwagon. You don't have to call them resolutions. You don't have to make a list if you don't want. But don't miss the opportunity to take some time in these next few days, if you've not already done so, to reflect, to evaluate, to refocus, and to envision where God is leading you in the coming year. You see, there's a reason that God uh, determined from the foundations of creation that there would be rhythms in our lives. You know, there's a daily rhythm. Every 24 hours, we get a brand new day. Every seven days, we get a fresh week. And every 52 weeks, we get a whole new year. And it's like God has just built into us this need for beginnings and ends and new beginnings. And so rather than resist it, let's embrace it. Let's embrace it and realize, you know, we have a fresh start. We have an opportunity right here at the beginning of the year to make peace with last year, to look into the coming year, 
and to determine to walk with God in it as we go. Well, it's a great time, I think, for a spiritual checkup. For a spiritual checkup, just to check our spiritual temperature. Now, I just happened to be reading late, uh, the week before last, actually, in the Gospel of Luke, in the 24th chapter, when I came upon the story of the Emmaus Road encounter between Jesus and a couple of his followers. Um, I'm not going to read the story. You can find it in Luke 24 if you'd like to follow along. I would definitely encourage you to, to mark it, go back and read it for yourself. Let God speak directly to you about this passage. But, but let me just kind of tell you what happened and draw out of it some things that I feel that God's put on my heart for today. Here's what happened. A man named Cleopas was traveling with a friend who's not named on the seven-mile road from Jerusalem to the little village of Emmaus. Now, both of them had been followers of Jesus. They, they were close followers of Jesus, not a part of the 12. They weren't a member of the 12, the group of 12. But they were obviously not just fans who've kind of followed from afar at a safe distance. They had been close to Jesus. They were known by the disciples. They had been, uh, they had been sold out to this whole cause of Christ in life. And it was a Sunday. It was just two days after the Friday when Jesus was crucified. Now, we don't know for sure why they were taking the trip. It may be that they were taking news of what had taken place to friends in Emmaus. Or perhaps, and this is, this is my guess, perhaps they were going home. They were going back to their former way of life. As they were walking, they were talking about everything that had taken place. And then suddenly, Jesus came walking up to them. Now, we know it's Jesus because Luke tells us it was Jesus. But they did not know it was Jesus. Now, we're not sure why. Again, it may have been that Jesus' resurrected body was a little different. This is kind of a recurring thing in the stories of Jesus' appearance. He's not always immediately recognized. What we are told, specifically in Scripture, is that they were kept from recognizing him. So to them, there's a stranger that walks up. And the stranger, they were just beginning their journey out of Jerusalem. And and the stranger says, I noticed you were talking. What were you talking about? And they said, what else? Have you been in Jerusalem this weekend and not seen or at least heard about all that happened? Well, Jesus plays along. And he says, well, no, I haven't. Tell me. And so these two men begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And to tell him what had happened over those three days, to tell him who Jesus was, about the religious opposition that came against him. They, they told him about the crucifixion the burial, and then even that an angel had appeared to one of them early in that same day and told them that Jesus was alive. But alas, some of the disciples had run to this tomb only to find that no one was there. And so these two men were headed home or leaving Jerusalem for whatever reason. It was over. It was done. Finished. And now on the first day of the week, they were entering the first day, not just of a new year, but of a whole new era, a whole new age. But in this case, it was not a day for dreaming, for making resolutions. 
for these two and for many like them in those first days after the crucifixion. This was a day of unparalleled disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, and fear. There's a line in verse 21 that cuts right to the chase. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. Isn't that such a sad thing to say? But we had hoped. You see, the previous chapter of their lives had begun with unbelievable hope. I mean, Jesus was the promised one. He was the Messiah. He had finally come, and he was going to overthrow the Roman government. He was going to establish a new government in Israel. He was going to restore Israel to her former glory. He was going to fulfill all of the promises of the prophets in the Old Testament. They were so full of hope. And in the matter of a few hours, it was all dashed. Every bit of it, it was gone. All their dreams, all their hopes were gone. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for these men and the other disciples who followed Jesus? Can you imagine the disappointment and the discouragement that must have been hanging over them in the hours and days right after his death? Well, I want to pause for a moment in the story and just say that for some of you here this morning, this is your story. This is your story. Maybe you began 2014 with a new measure of hope. It was a new day, a new year, a new you, a new job, a new relationship, a new plan. Fill in the blank with whatever you filled it in with last year at this time. But it didn't last. And you came limping into 2015 wondering if there is any real reason to hope again. How many times are we going to live this story? How many times will I repeat this cycle? I mean, all of us have been there at some point, right? We've all been there at some point where we're repeating the cycle and we wonder, is is there any real reason to hope again? For some of you, that is the story of where you are right now. Uh, And and maybe for some of you, it didn't have anything to do with last year. I mean, maybe you were just kind of cruising through life. You were confident you are sure, you are living the dream, you are in the zone, and then suddenly something came into the picture that derailed you, and now you still feel lost. I mean, this could have happened years ago, and you still feel lost. You're still disillusioned. You're still battling disappointment, and it's hard for you to look into a fresh new year or a fresh new time in your life because you can't get over the disappointment of what happened in the past. And now you're lost and you're discouraged, maybe even depressed. Can hardly remember what it even feels like to hope. Here's what I'd like for you to take from this story this morning. Why do you think Jesus chose these two? Do you think it was a random choice or do you think there was intention behind it? I'm convinced, I believe deeply, that Jesus chose these two because Jesus always has and always will be drawn 
to the brokenhearted. I mean, Isaiah says it's one of the reasons that he would come to heal the brokenhearted. And I am absolutely convinced that that's why Jesus showed up on this road to Emmaus to meet these two men. He knew where they were. He knew their hearts were broken. And he came to them in their discouragement. And I want you to know this morning that no matter what your road has been, what road you've been on, if you're in that place, Jesus will come to you just like he came to Cleopas and his friend. He will come and he will meet you right where you are in the picture. Now, I want to be clear about something here. Their future was still uncertain. I mean, let's remember that. A part of what disappointed them so gravely is that they believed that Jesus was here for one purpose, when the truth of the matter is he was here for an entirely different purpose. I mean, they believed that he was coming to set up an earthly government and that they would reign with him in an earthly kingdom. And, and, and that hasn't changed. I mean, the fact that they were wrong in that has not changed. That Jesus met them there still doesn't change it. They're still going to have to completely readjust their expectations to that which Jesus means for them. And let me just say that again, for some of you, that may be true. Jesus coming to you and meeting you in this story may not be about changing your story. may not be about giving you a, a different future. But here's the thing. For these men, it didn't matter. For these men, the only thing that mattered was that Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive and Jesus was in the picture. It didn't even matter that the picture Jesus told them about was not going to be one of, uh, of royalty and, and, and comfort and privilege, but one of suffering, persecution. The only thing that mattered is that Jesus was in the picture. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus can come into your picture as well, no matter what it is. In fact, I want to say that there may be someone here this morning for whom this will be your Emmaus Road experience. Because I believe that Jesus is in this place right now. He is here and he is alive. And if you have come here this morning discouraged, if you've come here sick to death of happy new year, and it has not been a happy new year for you, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has come to meet you in this place, just like he came to meet them on the road to Emmaus. But I do want to say this. That's not the end of the story. The story continues, and the rest of the story is critical. Jesus didn't just enter the picture. First of all, he began to teach them everything in the Old Testament about himself. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine having Jesus himself personally teaching you everything that there was to know about the Old Testament. Now, they still didn't know it was Jesus, uh, but they were having the, the, the Messiah tell them everything there was to know about the Old Testament. And, and then Jesus went home with them. And it says that he broke bread with them. He ate with them. He spent time with them in their homes. And at some point in the evening, Jesus decided it was time to reveal himself. And so he opened their spiritual eyes And he revealed himself to them. And suddenly they realized Jesus is alive. Jesus is here. And he's here now. You know, 
There's a, there's a verse, Jesus immediately left after this took place. He left, and in verse 32, um, we find that they're still talking about him after he's gone. And in verse 32, this is what they say. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened God's word to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? I want you to latch on to that verse. What a beautiful and powerful description of what happens when Jesus draws near. When Jesus opens our eyes and enables us to see with spiritual eyes and not just physical eyes. When Jesus opens God's word to us and gives us spiritual understanding and not just intellectual understanding. If you were here on Christmas Eve, I was talking about this whole issue of uh, you know, the existence of God. You know, the fact that um, there, there are all kinds of uh, intellectual arguments for the existence of God. Apologetics has done an amazing job of, of helping us to understand that there really is a basis for our faith in the facts. And I want to tell you, I have great appreciation for apologetics and believe it's very important. But I said then, and I want to repeat this morning, that of all of the things in my life that have convinced me most of the reality and the, uh, and the existence of God is the fact that God chooses to reveal himself, to come near. It is the presence of God. Uh, I, I want you to know, I mean, I've, I've followed Jesus for more than 40 years in my life. And I'll tell you that there have been seasons where my heart was, was aflame and I was burning with passion. And there have definitely been seasons where my heart was cold. Uh, My story is no different than yours. Every one of us have had seasons where it was one or the other if you've walked with Jesus. But I want to tell you that once you have experienced the presence of the living Christ, once your eyes have been opened to the reality of who he is, once your eyes have been opened to see that the depths of the truth of God's word, nothing else will ever satisfy you. You will always find yourself hungering and longing for more of that which set your heart on fire. I was thinking about this uh, in relation to the story of John Wesley. John Wesley is one of our heroes in the faith. He was born in the 1700s. He was uh, born into a very, very religious home. His father was a pastor. They lived in a parsonage. Uh, His mother was a saint. Uh, Susanna Wesley had 19 children. 19 children. And not all of them survived until adulthood. But Susanna Wesley spent one hour a week with every child teaching them about the things of God. That's why I say she's a saint. Uh, If anybody that would uh, be able to spend that kind of quality time with that many children had to have been a saint. John Wesley uh, knew everything there was to know about Christianity. He went off to college to, to Oxford, and he and his brother Charles, who has written more hymns than any writer in history, together formed a club that eventually was called the Holy Club. Now, they didn't call it the Holy Club. I mean, let me assure you, this was not a term of their choosing. This was a term of derision by the secular students of, of Oxford who made fun of them because all they wanted to do was talk about God. And so they met day after day, week after week, and and they were absolutely determined to live their lives 100% for God. 
At some point, Wesley felt a call to missions. And he left Oxford, he got on a boat, and he came, of all places, to the state of Georgia in the New World. And he came here to preach the gospel to the Native Americans. He didn't stay very long, though. Wesley was here for a short time, but before long, he was back on the boat going back to to London. Not because of physical illness, but because of abject failure. Wesley completely and totally failed. And in his discouragement, and in his disillusionment, he actually wrote in his journal on the way back to London that he, he wasn't even sure if he was saved anymore. He got back to London, and he ran into some people that he had known previously. Uh, there were a group of Moravians who were meeting on a particular night uh, in our little room on Aldersgate Street in London. And Wesley decided to go and just to be there in the meeting. And in the meeting, one of the men stood up and began to read from the introduction to the commentary to the, gospel, to the, to the book of Romans by Martin Luther. Now, I want you, I'm sure very few of you have read that. Anybody read that book lately? Uh, Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans. Um, I will tell you, it is not an exciting book. I mean, it is not an exciting chapter. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that you would think would change somebody's life. But Wesley was sitting in that room. And as the man, whoever he was, read from this book about the book of Romans, Wesley said, something turned in me. He would later write in his journal, my heart was strangely warmed. My heart was strangely warmed. Again, this is someone who had been raised in the church. This is someone who had been the leader of the holy club in Oxford. Someone who had done it all right. But Wesley was acknowledging that for him, Christianity had been mostly a head trip and a will trip. It had all been about what you believe and how you live. And suddenly, Wesley had an Emmaus Road kind of experience where Jesus revealed himself to him. And I want to tell you, it completely changed the course of Wesley's life. He was never the same after that moment. He would look back on that moment again and again as a critical moment in his life when God revealed himself to him. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you had that experience? I mean, obviously, it is possible to grow up in the church, to agree with all the teachings of the church, to walk a straight line, even to be a missionary, and not actually see and know the living Lord. For those who aren't certain, the most important thing I could say to you today is that Jesus longs to reveal himself to you today. May today be the day of your salvation. But let me say as well, That for all of us, it's a great time to check our spiritual temperature. Because many of us, maybe most of us, have already had that experience. We've already had that that, that moment of coming into an understanding of who Jesus is. That he loves me. That he gave his life for me. And that if I just receive what he's done on on my behalf, that I can become a son or daughter to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us have had that experience. Many of us have had many other experiences along the way where we have had those kind of heartwarming experiences. But I want to tell you that this is a question that never gets old. 
It's a question that never gets irrelevant. What is your temperature today? Not where was it five years ago or or even three or four months ago, but what is your spiritual temperature today? We also think a lot about physical health at the start of the new year. Many of us maybe have already gotten plans to go see your doctor and get get a physical checkup just to make sure everything is okay. But I want to tell you that there is a checkup that's way more important than that one. And it's for you to ask the Holy Spirit himself to give you a checkup on your own heart. What is the temperature of your own heart this morning? Is it burning brightly or is it just a flicker? General Booth, I've never actually heard the man's first name. I've just always heard heard him referred to as General Booth. He actually was the founder of the Salvation Army. General Booth said this. He said, it is the nature of fire to go out. Think about that for a moment. It's a profound statement, really. It is the nature of fire to go out. If you build a fire and leave it to itself... There's only one possibility of what will happen in the future. That fire will go out. At some point, it will burn out. Now, if it's a huge fire, it may last for days. If it's small, it may only last for a few minutes. But every fire will eventually go out unless it's maintained. And I want to tell you this morning that the exact same thing is true for us in our walk with God. I mean, when we get saved, when we begin our relationship, our our hearts are full. we're, We're on fire for God. We have those seasons where we reach the mountaintop. But if we're not regularly maintaining that spiritual fire, it will go out. Which reminds me of a passage in 2 Timothy. Because the Apostle Paul understood this concept very well. Apostle Paul said to Timothy, his young protege, in 2 Timothy 1.6, Timothy Fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. Fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. So how do you do that? I mean, maybe you're sitting here today and you've got the salvation thing, that's done. But how do you keep the flame burning brightly in your life? Well, I would love to just draw out a few insights from these passages this morning very quickly. The first one is this. Um, we are very deeply aware that God has given us spiritual disciplines as a means of grace. If you were here last summer, we spent the entire summer talking about the spiritual disciplines. It was one of the most important series we'll ever do. Because these are God's gifts to us. Things like prayer and the reading of the word and, and the worship and, and, and giving of ourselves. All these things are gifts that God has given us to maintain a vital connection with God so that the fire stays hot. And it is interesting to me that in the story of the walk to Emmaus, uh, Jesus comes and one of the first things he does is he opens the word. And he begins to teach them out of God's word. It's a reminder that that we need to take advantage of of those gifts that he's given us to keep the flame burning bright. But there's something else I see here that really stands out to me. And that is the importance of community. The importance of community. Uh, Take first of all the story in the walk to Emmaus. First of all, it's very important to me that Cleopas is not walking alone. Now, we don't know who he was walking with. We're not even given the name, but, the, but Luke thought it was important to point out that in his discouragement, 
Cleopas was not alone. There was someone with him, walking by his side. And then Jesus comes into the picture, and suddenly we have Christ-centered community, which is the heart of who we are, what we're all about as a church at Christ Community. It's our, it's our mission statement. We're called to awaken ordinary people to extraordinary life, hot, burning life in Christ-centered community. And when people come together and, and Jesus is present, that's what we have. And uh, Billy didn't ask me to do this. I mean, Billy is our small groups pastor. And January is a month where we really begin to highlight the importance of community groups. This is not a commercial. This is part of the message. I mean, I want to tell you that it is so important that you be a part of a community that is walking together. Because let's just be real here. I mean, Christ community has become a relatively large church, and it is very, very possible for you to come into this room week after week after week to find your seat, to worship, to listen to the message, and to leave out the back door and not know a soul. You can do that. It's, it's entirely possible. But I'll tell you that if you're there, you're in a very dangerous place because God did not make you to walk alone. God made you to come into community where you can regularly be refreshed and restored by others around you. I mean, I can tell you this is something that my wife and I have been talking about for ourselves recently. We've not actually been in a community group for several months now. Uh, we, uh, we, we left a community group we were in to start one for young adults. When that one finished, you know, we thought, you know, our community is kind of our staff, and we really want to invest in our staff. Um, and, and we have that connection But I'll just be honest with you, we've also been feeling like, you know what, we need that weekly routine, that regular discipline of coming together as a people of God. I mean, it's such an old, old illustration. But one I was reminded about just this week as I was doing some cooking over the holidays. And and if you build a fire made out of charcoal, I mean, you know how this works, right? Uh, As long as the coals are touching, they'll remain hot. But if, you, if just one falls off to the side by itself and isn't touching any of the others, it will burn out twice as fast as the rest. And it is absolutely true in your spiritual life as well. I, I wanted to say, if you're here this morning and your honest assessment is that my spiritual temperature is not that hot, one of my first questions would be, where's your connection? Where's your community? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Where are you getting that Christ-centered community that's so important to your life? And then there's one last thing, and this comes directly out of the passage uh, in 2 Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift of God that is within you. But then in the very next verse, in verse 7, he said, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and a love and of self-discipline. And what Paul's doing there is very important. What he's saying, Timothy, is that it's not only important for you to know where you've come from, it's not only important to you to know who's around you, but it's also important for you to know who you are so that you are not deceived by the enemy when he wants to tell you who you are, so that you're not deceived by the world when the world wants to tell you who you are. He says, don't ever forget that the spirit of the living God lives in you and gives you your identity as a child of God. And if the spirit of God is living in you, he's going to give you a spirit that is not rooted in fear. Let me just tell you, 
There's no question that you may be surrounded by very fearful things. There's no question that you may be in a season of your life that's filled with uncertainty. I'm not saying that Christians never struggle with those things. But what I am saying is that when Christ comes near, he will bring you that which will enable you to face your fears, to walk through your fears, because he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Beloved, this is who you are. This is who you are. I can tell you there is nothing more important as we begin this year together than for each one of us to ask the question, God, where is my heart today? Take the time. Don't miss this opportunity to reflect, to evaluate, to refocus, and to envision envision what God is calling you to. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to, to start that process. Would you just bow your heads right where you are? I'm going to ask those who are uh, serving communion if you'll come and prepare the elements. But as they come and prepare the elements, I want to give you an opportunity just in these moments to listen, to open your own heart, your eyes, to ask him to come and to open your eyes that you may see. Invite him to reveal himself to you afresh today.